Hello, NetWomen Uncut. My name is Pinky Gadiali, the founder and CEO of NetWomen, where we inspire, support, and include women from all over the world to get to the top. Our mission is a 50-50 gender split and to close the gender and ethnicity gap. Create equity, celebrate equality. I'm also the CEO and founder of Mindset by Pinky, where I help people overcome imposter syndrome and limiting beliefs through neuro-linguistic programming and hypnosis to break the glass ceiling. You can book up your discovery call with me by following the link at the end. Every month, we will bring you our latest updates from NetWomen and our community. We'll be chatting about stories we found particularly newsworthy and giving our opinions on them. And with a variety of speakers joining me each month from the NetWomen community and having those conversations we don't normally talk about. And today I'm delighted to be sharing the space with Tanya Diggory, who is the CEO and founder of Karma. Welcome, Tanya. Hello, Pinky. Thank you so much for having me here today. Such a pleasure. Do you know, I've been listening and watching and literally su- subscribed to your newsletter for the last, I don't know, seven years since you started. <laughs> and I'm, I've just been like in awe. So <laughs> to have you and a privilege to have you on our podcast. I'm very, very excited. So thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much. It's so meaningful to hear that. And I, I really hope that the content has the, been useful and resonated with you. So it's such a pleasure to be here. It definitely has. It's definitely helped me, um, particularly during COVID when we were all a little bit trapped. Um, so there's a lot of things that you bring up when it comes to burnout, anxiety, and all the good stuff around well-being. So I, I can't wait to dive a little deeper into that. But if you can just tell our listeners just a little bit about karma, what is it? So Karma is a mental health and burnout prevention training organization. We focus on empowering entrepreneurs, freelancers, and business teams to nurture mental wellness and prevent burnout from escalating. we focus primarily on sort of workplace training courses, programs, events, and we also have a suite of digital products. And we have a lot of free accessible resources for people to get to know who we are as a brand, like our podcast, our blog, our newsletters, as you mentioned. And also we've got something called the Reignite Project, which is a free campaign. And it's our award-winning campaign actually, where you can sign up for free and receive a 10-week burnout prevention e-course. So I definitely encourage you to take a look at that as well. Amazing. And if you can just give us in 30 seconds or less, how you got to where you are today? That's a big question for 30 seconds. <laughs> um, I would say how I got to where I am today. Well, I was in a very different career before. I was actually in the dance world, um, running a dance school and then an international dance and hip hop events company. So a very different area. And through my own struggles with mental health, that set me on a new trajectory of curiosity about the importance of mental health and particularly for entrepreneurs, business owners, professionals. And so that's what kind of led me to retrain and end up in the space that I'm working in now. That's amazing. Was that good for 30 seconds? Yeah, I, was, I think you, you completely nailed that. Like, <laughs> guests don't nail it at all. But yeah, well done, that's good. <laughs> the first time I've ever been asked to do that in 30 seconds. <laughs> so I'm, I embrace the challenge. <laughs> 
Excellent. So tell us a little bit about that story you were saying of your own mental health um, story about anxiety. What happened there? Hmm. So it was about 10 or so years ago now, if we call it around 2013, 2014. And I was running both businesses at the same time. So I'd set up um, launching my festival company at the time, at the same time as I was running my dance school. And I went through a period of really high stress of, um, you know, not really taking care of myself best best in the best way that I can. Um, I was, you know, working way too many hours. That sort of classic story really and i was also going through a couple of personal things at the time and it all just got too much one day and it was actually around the time when i'd finished the launch of my first ever sort of international festival and i also had been nursing a physical injury that to be honest i wasn't nursing i was just trying to ignore it and i was just keeping going and keeping going and so i was you know i had a really bad injury after that and everything just kind of started crumbling and i was just really really burnt out so that was my first experience of burnout where i was just physically mentally emotionally exhausted and i really struggled with anxiety in particular panic attacks on and off for about a year after that and i didn't really know what i was going through at the time i didn't really understand those feelings and emotions because you know back then it's amazing how far we've come within a decade you know but mental health really wasn't talked about that much if at all um so i it was almost quite like an educational experience in understanding what was actually going on um and uh it sort of me it's it's it sort of set me on a new path really of, of curiosity as i said um about mental health and um it just sort of opened my eyes as to you know how much pressure you can be under as an entrepreneur and running a startup as well. And it's just like, you know, how much support actually is there available for those people? That's sort of where it started really, that that curiosity. And, um, and so I really felt there was this need in the business world for there to be a platform that says to entrepreneurs, freelancers, small business teams, um, that, you know, if you are struggling, it's okay. It's a normal human experience and there's no shame in it. And this is what you can do to help yourself. And I was really curious about finding out as much as possible about how to empower good mental health. Cause I felt like there wasn't as much conversation about that. And there still isn't in my opinion, <laughs> I feel like, um, it doesn't get enough airtime, the conversation around mental wellness, looking after and nurturing your mental health, good mental health. Um, you know, I think we're, we're so aware of what to do when there's an issue and a struggle, but if you think about physical health we don't just talk about physical injury or ailments or challenges if anything we probably talk more about physical fitness and health and nutrition and looking after ourselves like we know what's good for our physical well-being and I really want to see us get to that place with mental health you know that we're not just having this negativity bias of if we're talking about mental health it means we're talking about a problem we're talking about the the wider spectrum of our mind's health you know how are we feeling in ourselves and let's also talk about mental wellness so um yeah that that's that was my my passion my vision and um and preventing burnout you know because that's kind of like the that when you get to that stage it can be really miserable and it's like what can we do to understand how does it get to that stage what are those kind of typical signs symptoms markers that we can look out for and what can we do to prevent that from escalating and becoming a crisis issue? Uh, so yeah, I retrained as an NLP practitioner too, from one NLP practitioner to another, um, and also mindfulness teacher, mental health trainer through Mind, the mental health charity. I still do a lot of work with them as well, and um, mental health first aid, 
Um, I got trained in that too. So all the courses and materials that we've created um, since we launched is all influenced um, with from a blend of those varied practices and all drawn from evidence-based psychological research. When you went through that journey, did you reach out to somebody that told you that this is what it was? Or did you like research it? How did you, because you mentioned the fact, you know, 10 years ago, there wasn't that much around. Mm burnout anxiety wasn't talked about we didn't really know much about what mental health or mental wellness was um we know a lot about illness now mental illness now because of covid and i think it was very much a hot topic at the time Mm. how did you become self-aware or did you get some help So I, uh, you know, I had a couple of people in my life close to me that I knew had been through panic attacks. I didn't know what that felt like in myself. So I I, I did end up, you know, speaking to them because, you know, they're people close to me. So um, I did figure out what it could have been. And because it happened a few times, then I was like, okay, you know, but um, there was one episode that I had that was really bad and it lasted like, 45 minutes on and off, I would say. And I felt really shivery, shaky, quite sick, nauseous, like loads of anxious symptoms. Um, And so I actually went to the hospital. Um, My husband um, was with me at the time. He took me to the hospital. And um, by the time I got there, all my symptoms had just gone. (laughs) So this is the thing with panic attacks. It really comes and goes. And so I did get a checkup. I had, you know, my blood pressure checked and all those things. And the doctor did talk to me about um, stress but nothing else was really mentioned. They didn't mention the term panic attack. You know, they didn't talk about anxiety. So for me, really, it was a bit of a self-education. You know, I read a lot. Um, I got curious about mental health in general um, and self-care as a professional, that kind of thing. And I, I think there's a lot more awareness now, particularly, you know, in general, but also in the medical profession, you know, I think there's a lot more awareness, a lot more tools available. Um, there's, you know, mental health crisis wards, people are more aware of mental health resources and signposting, that kind of thing. And, and there are a lot of doctors that are, um, you know, very aware of, of checking in about, you know, different uh, diagnosis with mental health. But just unfortunately, that that one time that I went to the hospital, it <laughs> just didn't that didn't come up. Um, so yeah, and like I say, it was just reading a lot. It was looking into it, researching, um, becoming curious. And like I said, I eventually sort of came across mind, um, thanks to um, a couple of really good friends of mine. And, uh, you know, eventually, you know, kind of got in touch with the, the workplace wellbeing team there. And when that was during the time when I was actually retraining and then had just set up Karma as well. Um, and, uh, you know, absolutely fell in love with the subject matter and, and you know, educating about it. So, yeah, that was sort of the journey, really. Amazing. I think it's quite now when people, well, I suppose there's more education out there on this topic. Um, what would you, so looking back then and now and with the information that you have, what would you say to somebody who's struggling with this right now? With panic attacks in particular? Yeah. Um, I would always say, you know, it's still worth and important to get a medical checkup because, you know, scientifically speaking as well, like from a research perspective, it's been... Um, 
like shown that and, and I can attest to this you know from personal experience that when the experience of a panic attack on a sensory level is very similar in nature to the experience of a heart attack or an asthma attack. So and because it can include tightness in the um, chest, pain in the chest, your heart rate is increasing rapidly in speed, your breathing feels constricted and your adrenaline is spiking even more than say, you know, a burst of adrenaline so as, as when you're stressed. So it's all happening in an instant. It can feel very scary and it's very physical. And so it can be easily mistaken for an asthma attack or, or heart attack. So I would always say as best practice, it's really important as soon as possible to try and get a medical checkup. Um, and because we have so much more knowledge and awareness around mental health nowadays, I think there will be a lot more and there is a lot more support available um, and a lot more questions asked around mental health, even within GP appointments and things like that. So I would hope <laughs> that there would be more questions around anxiety, panic attacks, potentially, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and I would say it's really hard when it's in the moment and it's happening. Um, but the, the one thing that you can control when you're experiencing a panic attack is your breathing. And I know we hear quite a lot nowadays around meditation techniques, mindfulness-based practice and you know breathing techniques. And yes, we breathe every day. It's an important part of being human, but how we breathe makes a huge difference in terms of how we feel and how we behave. And in that moment, you can't just tell your heart rate to slow down. It'd be great if you could, but you can't. You can't tell your muscles to stop aching. Um, but the one thing in your bodily function that you can control is your breathing. And that's true of like any time in your life, you know, so anytime you're feeling anxious, worried, overwhelmed, panicked, anything like that, um, low moods, etc. like the breathing rhythm, that's the one thing you can control. And the thing is, there's been so much scientific proof and evidence that through conscious breathing which is when you actively slow down the breath and you focus on your breathing you're engaging all your senses by doing that but you're also taking your attention away from anything else that's going on to just one simple thing and making it more simple for yourself do you know what i mean like trying not to think about the other stuff that could be flaring up but actually all i'm going to do now is just focus on the breath and not only does that expand your lung capacity when you take deeper inhalations of breath which is difficult when you're in the moment in a panic attack so you have to take it easy and obviously slow down bit by bit and try to to slow the rhythm of your breathing gradually um but you you gradually start to to expand your lung capacity, ensuring you're getting optimal oxygen throughout your body. Because the easy thing to do in, in a panic attack is to mirror the mirror the rhythm of your breathing with the rate of your heartbeat. <laughs> you know like that which is just it's going to make you feel very lightheaded you might even faint potentially that's happened obviously to many people um in that moment and so yeah expanding your lung capacity is important um it does improve your respiratory system doing that as well like just slowing down the breathing that bit more it is slowly starting to turn the dial down on that stress response that's going off in your body and it calms your nervous system so if your nerves are feeling heightened and on edge which they are during a panic attack for sure you know, slowly taking in deeper inhalations of breath will, will calm the nervous system. So um, it, it is a very common response. I, I do want to emphasize that so many people experience panic attacks. And it's essentially when things feel too much, when you feel um, particularly out of control in your circumstances, feel overwhelmed, not sure what to do, feel stuck, 
and and your body just feels like there's no solution you're like i don't know what to do and 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 you panic in that moment and it can be in relation to anything it can be a variety of circumstances that lead to that so you have to be kind to yourself if if it happens and know that it will pass but always best practice to try and see a medical professional anyway in the first instance really really helpful and good advice one of the things that you mentioned there that i love is the breathing side of things i work with a lot of my clients who struggle with anxiety mm. and burnout um when i when we do speak to many of our community uh, at net women there's a lot around burnout and there's obviously different parts to this but what is the first kind of sign of burnout in your opinion and and from experience i i will put it out there that it is sometimes very hard to tell <laughs> which is why this education is so important and it's what made me want to look into this more um i didn't know i was on that journey to, to burn out until i was burnt out and i think that is a lot of people's experience um but one thing we created um, at Karma as a model um, is called the five stages of burnout to help give people that education piece around understanding what signs and symptoms to look out for. Um, and it's inspired by the Winona State University study on burnout. So it's kind of elaborated from that. And it's it, it's, it's kind of like you've got to understand the science behind stress, really, you know, with this before looking into burnout, because stress is something that we all experience. It's not like it's just some people and some people don't experience it. There's literally a part of the human brain called the amygdala, which is where the stress response lives. And, and it's there to protect us, to keep us safe. And there are some circumstances in life where we do need that. You know, if we're in a dangerous situation or if we need to prepare for something important, you know, that that response will kick in to try and give us a drive and motivate us to take action, etc. So there's certain elements where short manageable bursts of stress is one thing, but we're not designed to be stressed out human beings in a high state of stress for long periods of time that's unresolved. And when it starts to escalate to that high level where you're lacking in um, noticing the ebbs and flows, not lacking, that's not the right word, but um, as in you're struggling to, you know, um, come out of stress state. So you're, we, we need ebbs and flows is what I'm trying to say. We need to, we, we go into stress states, that's part of being human, but we need to also come out of it. And I'm sure this will resonate with you as a coach and, you know, an LP practitioner, you know, all about this as well. Um, so, so there's ups and downs, you know, that's part of life and, and, and the choice to make sure we're taking a step back, which is easier said than done. And it is really a practice to step back from stressful situations and downregulate that stress response is so important because when that's, that doesn't happen and we feel like we're in a constant state of highly activated stress, for long periods of time, especially that's when it can lead to higher fluctuations and anxiety issues in mood issues, um, you know, some common signs and symptoms when it leads to from stress to chronic stress, for example, which is a couple of those stages that we talk about um, in, in the five stages model is, um, you know, going from common stress symptoms like, you know, fatigue, overwhelm, um, tightness and, you know, intention and 
different parts of the body, um, you know, appetite being affected, maybe things like that to, you know, more extreme versions of that and more of a say detachment from, you know, your work or a detachment from responsibilities um, coping mechanisms that aren't that healthy, like overconsumption of caffeine or alcohol or those kind of things just to cope. So your behavioral symptoms perhaps start to manifest in different ways as well. It's not just what you physically notice in your body, but actually what your choices are like or what you're you're choosing to do or not do. Um, you know, sleep can be massively affected, etc. And then that's when it can escalate into burnout symptoms where it's you, you feel mentally, emotionally and physically completely exhausted, like a car running with no fuel. There's just nothing that you have that's left to give. Um, part of the Reignite project that we um, created is a five minute short film. We interview three different business owners on their experience of burnout and recovery. And it's it's amazing to hear just how varied people's experience of burnout is. So other examples can be, you know, you you no matter how much sleep you're getting, you never feel rested enough. Like you just feel consistently tired and fatigued. Your energy levels are incredibly low, lacking in motivation to take care of yourself in the way that you usually would, like good exercise, nutrition, those kind of things. Um, and like emotional outbursts where, you know, out of nowhere, you'll be very tearful or emotional when you don't know where it's coming from. And so the thing is, your body knows it, it has these indicators that it will send you as a signal to pay attention to when things are consistently not feeling right. And that's the thing to really understand about yourself, which is why we're so passionate about educating on this topic, because it manifests in different ways for different people. So it is a bit of a self-awareness journey, but at least those kind of examples, we hope, can give people some idea you know, of, of what might be going on. As you were speaking there, I resonated with you on so many levels because I know I've been there so many times. Mm -hmm. Probably not really called it burnout, but there have been times where I have felt as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, owning two businesses and just juggling life and a child and being wearing lots of hats and and being the primary carer for my son and all of that and I've just literally just thought about the the last few months of feeling absolutely exhausted and just no matter how much sleep I get I still felt really tired mm. and I am no, I'm not afraid of sharing this with people because I know there are people out there listening to this right now going, I'm also, I've been there and I've also felt like that before. Mm -hmm. And mental health is such a thing that it's on a scale, right? People see it as like, okay, men, yeah, everybody's got mental health. It's just what level are you at on that scale? Mm -hmm. I see it. And I've definitely been on that dangerous zone of, I need to stop, do mm. something about this, because if I don't, I'm going to be completely wiped out. I'm not going to be able to do anything for the rest of this week. Mm. So really being able to tap into that self-awareness and know when to stop, because often what we do is just keep going and going and going. And then we get to that point of no return. <laughs> Exactly. And, and that's the difference between physical and mental health. When you do actually have a physical injury or ailment, it's usually obvious. Of course, there are some hidden ailments as well. But, you know, say you've injured yourself or you've broken an ankle, or sprained something. It's like it's something that you see 
and it's accepted it's like oh yeah you need to rest that you know you need to look after yourself you know don't go walking around on a sprained ankle or what you know things like that you need a crutch at least and you know elevate your leg and all those things whereas with mental health it's silent you can't see it it's hidden um and it's it so comes down to each individual person in terms of how they deal with whatever circumstances come at them in life you know um, their coping skills, like how they deal with times of, of challenge and adversity, that's really unique to each person. And um, with the sort of silent side of it, it's easy to cover up in that sense, easy, I put in quotes, <laughs> it's, it's still, it feels incredibly hard, but you can show the outside world, I'm fine, I've got a smile on my face, I'm getting on with things. It, you can cover it up, you know, but, um, but I'm grateful that we are as a society having more open dialogue, you know, in recent years around the fact that that's really not healthy long term, you know, like if it's something brief and brief period in your life and, you know, you can see an end in sight to something and you just need to get through a really difficult, busy period. That's one thing. But when it's ongoing, you know, it can get more challenging. And and thank you so much as well, Pinky, for bringing your personal experience into this conversation, too, because I feel when you're in the service based industry, and you service others and help others as a coach, as a practitioner, you know, whatever role, um, you're helping people all the time and it can appear like you've got it together you know you can help people with all these things it's like we were still human <laughs> you know what i mean i still have my tough days as well you know even in even the fact that i educate on mental health and help people with that but you know i really resonate with what you said then i know i'm very open as well about my story and fluctuations of you know things i've been through and just opening that dialogue of the fact that we are all human and you know we all have our difficult times and we all struggle sometimes and i think that that's that's important to be open about absolutely and the more open we are the more we can then navigate through what we're going through through life our journey as an entrepreneur or a business owner or whatever that might be or even if you're working in a corporate environment and you've got to the point where you've had so much stuff dumped on your plate and you have to handle it it's all of those things and I think it's even more so as a woman because you are still the primary carer for your little ones and I think that's the other thing that we have to navigate through that we often don't even talk about because it's like no that's your job you do it mm. instead of actually saying no can we split this equally can we do half of caring the child care whatever that might be that's extra additional responsibility um so I think it's really important that we have got platforms like podcasts and now we have books and we have things that we can look at and talk about that are relevant and talk about this openly and like you say you know it's good that we're doing that now really really good um that it's all out there yeah and it's a sign of strength you know to share but it's you know when when you do when you if you feel you can i will say that because it, it totally depends on people's situations but if you're able to share open up to someone you trust um because that's really important it has to be someone you can you feel can hold a safe space for you um it's such a massive part of the um 
solution of what will help you feel better, you know, because you've actually vocalized it, you've put it out there. So you're on a massive next step towards, okay, so what next, what will help me, you know, so if we, we see it in that way as well, that it actually takes courage, and it takes strength, and a lot of resilience to share vulnerability to open up. I mean, Brené Brown is an amazing person in this space, who just absolutely nails it with this whole conversation around vulnerability. She is definitely the queen. Of yeah. vulnerability. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So anyone listening to this is curious to know more about vulnerability and the strength and power behind it, go look at Brené Brown's work. <laughs> her TED Talks, amazing, mm. and her books as well. Absolutely. One of the things that I wanted to just quickly touch on, because I, I literally could talk about this all day long, but I know we're, we're short on time now, but um, being a person of colour myself, there's a massive stigma around mental health and um, talking about it. Mm. I grew up in a culture of what's wrong with you? You know, if you, you know, what's depression? That's rubbish. You can't possibly, you know, have anxiety. That's you just get up, you get on with it, put mm. a face, put your smile on and you just, get on with it I don't know if you've experienced this before you must have you must have come across people that you know who just that culture and it might not just be people of color but I feel like there is a huge stigma around it because culturally it's not acceptable to be mentally ill it's just not acceptable so what I find as a coach is that I tend to eventually get to the bottom of certain things that are happening it's very superficial to start off with and people tell me oh you know my cat's died or something but actually deep down inside there is more to it than that and yeah what what are your what are your experiences around this mm. so um yeah as a woman of color as well i i definitely um have, I understand and appreciate that, you know, there are different cultural um, sense of awareness, you know, different types of awareness within different cultures. And um, I think, you know, I, I mean, I did grow up in an environment where we were encouraged to express our emotions and feelings. Um, but having said that, um, you know, working within this space now and um, and helping so many different people and, and meeting so many different people of different cultural backgrounds and, um, you know, gender, etc. It's it is fascinating to me the number of stories that I, I hear about how much there is still that block around accepting that mental health is even a thing in, in many countries around the world. And I think as much as we've moved forward um, as a society in general in understanding and having more awareness about mental health, typically if you look from a sort of statistical standpoint, it's it's more around the westernized part of the world that we're more open to talking about mental health and there's a lot more research funded around it and access to support, et cetera. Um, but, you know, you look at different parts of Asia, different parts of Africa, Middle East, for example, you know, there are parts where it's still just a cultural norm to not really talk about how you feel or like you say depression and it's still seen as incredibly clinical and is you know very oh what's the word it's like outdated perceptions that if someone's depressed or anxious then it means 
you know, that they have these thoughts conjured up of like what we saw in films, you know, from decades ago of like, it must mean like an institution or you need to be, you know, like cared for 24 seven. It's like, it's really not, not like that um, necessarily, you know, of course there are going to be people who still, who experience severe, um, you know, uh, conditions with regards to mental ill health that, that do need to be hospitalized or do need that kind of level of care. But when we're talking about depression and anxiety, it's an incredibly common state for people to experience and it manifests in different ways from mild to moderate to severe so totally depends on how the person experiences that and i think you know we've come a really long way like i said um even just in the space of the last decade or so there's still a long way to go and when you're looking at shifting public perception much less on a global scale you know that's going to take time we're talking at least a couple more generations probably but having said that you know it's it's incredible to see and hear stories about how young people nowadays and children are just embracing mental health like it's just the most normal thing in the world. And, you know, I have um, nieces and a nephew and, and they 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 include mental health in their conversations like they would talk about, you know, just making a drink or something. <laughs> you know, I have um, one of my nieces, she changed her um, room around once she she changed the setup of her room and uh, she was excited to show me and then you know looking at all the different decorations and stuff and changed her bed around and she, and then she just I was saying how lovely it is and then she just suddenly said yeah you know I also feel like this this um change also it's just really good for my mental health <laughs> it was just like the most normal thing she was 12 at the time and I was so proud at that moment and honestly I didn't influence her she <laughs> that came from her I love well, it. That's very encouraging. <laughs> it is. And I think you're right. The definitely um future generations are going to be talking about it just like a normal thing. And and that's the way it should be. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. Just to wrap up, one last thing. Um how do our listeners find out about you? So our website is this is karma, and that's spelled C-A-L-M-E-R not K-A-R-M-A, which can be confused between the two. Um, and we're on social media at This Is Karma on Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. Um, I'm personally on Twitter and LinkedIn as well, Tanya Diggory. And yeah, just get in touch. Anything that we can do to help or support or if you have any questions, feel free to get in touch. Amazing. I've absolutely loved chatting with you, Tanya. Thank you so much for coming on. Pleasure. It's been so lovely to chat to you too. Thank you for having me. So that's our episode done. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate your support. Email us if you'd like to feature or if you have any ideas at all at hello at netwomen.co. That's .co, not co.uk. And you can subscribe to our newsletter or just sponsor us with our mission, create equity and celebrate equality. You can let us know what you think, leave a review, share, tweet, tag at netwomenco and find us on LinkedIn and Instagram just by searching netwomen. Also head to our website for our latest blogs and updates at netwomen.co and for our DER programs on netwomen.us. You can book your call with me, calendly.com slash netwomen. Thanks for listening. Bye.